I've never heard a person walk out of the stadium and say, wow, I wish that game would have included more waiting. He is an endless source of baseball and hockey knowledge. Jose Terrios, a lanzador de Puerto Rico en el Clásico Mundial de Béisbol. Sean Morosi, every week with Wyman and Bob. You're being serious with me right now? It's time to get serious, by God. We got John Morosi with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, and we look forward to it each and every week. Hello, John. Good evening, my friends, or good afternoon in the great city of Seattle, a little earlier than we typically have a conversation. But I love this week because we've got Cactus League games starting less than 24 hours from right now. Dodgers and Padres get underway uh, a month from today. They'll be wrapping up their two-game series in Seoul, South Korea. So, my friends, the season is upon us, and I cannot wait. How how seriously do you take injuries this time of year or not not injuries so much as hearing you know like the, the latest i just saw the story about uh, kodai senga getting uh, some tests done for arm fatigue and you're going well spring training's been underway for what a week for some of these guys right. and we've, we've got some guys even with the mariner santos he's got a little you know soreness so he's going to throw off flat ground as opposed to a mound is this just every team being overly cautious out of the gates or how do you view it it depends it depends on the on the player and the team, I, I would always say this, that when I was covering spring training, I, when I came in there as a, oh goodness, how old was I the, my first spring training on the beat, 23? Uh, I, I came in there just full of energy. And as I was saying at the time, with, with not a hint of self-awareness, to me, every strained hamstring was Watergate. It was. It required a full, a full investigatory report. What's going on? When did you start feeling the twinge? Is it more of a strain or a twinge? And so, the the nervous news. That's what I had a sports editor who called it that, and it's really true. So so, there can be ner- nervous news that becomes real news, and there can also be nervous news that sort of fades away. And uh, listen, I think for the Mets and Senga. You chose a player and a team that is somewhat predisposed to fear the worst. If there was ever a group of fans that feared the worst in spring training, it's Mets fans. Uh, I have many of them dear to me in my life, and I'm just speaking on their behalf. They're always worried. And so that is not a very auspicious way to begin spring training camp with the, with the concern over Senga. So that, that one certainly bears watching. In Santos's case, hard to really know at this point, unless he's totally shut down, which, as you point out, he's not. Uh, usually when a pitcher is shut down, no throw for a while, starting to get checked out, that's when I get a little bit worried. And, and honestly, for the Orioles to say that Kyle Bradish is, is not going to be available for a while because of a sprain, not a strain, but a sprain in his elbow, that's a concern because they just got Corbin Burns, and a lot of the thought there was, wow, they've got Burns. They added him to to Bradish and Rodriguez and this great group of starters. Now they're ready to roll, and and maybe that tempers your enthusiasm a bit. So it depends on the player and on the team, but I generally, until a team announces that a player is going to be out for a period of time, I try not to spend too much time on the nervous news, and I look more uh, at, at the positive stories and things that – we could maybe be surprised by or, or impressed by. I, I thought, honestly, on the Mariner side of things, to have Julio described last year as a sophomore slump despite getting MVP votes was 
that's pretty interesting, and that just tells you where his where his standard is. And so when you've got someone who was a top five finisher, I believe, in the MVP, describing it as a slump, then uh, to, to Mariner fans, I would say you're in business. You, you got to keep it right there with Julio. Geez, I wish my whole career had been a slump. Right? If it was like playing like <laughs> I mean, and we're sitting here, I was talking about the 15 games in late September, JP of where, you know, he his batting average was like 123 and you know, it was like like I said for 15 games, but I liked what he said. I I thought it was and and again, I feel like this guy is living dog years in Major League Baseball, just his maturity level. Because, again, this was a, a young guy. Now he's, what, 23, I believe. Right. But, but I mean, you know, and so he's not a young guy anymore. But still, the way he handled that, um, I just, I love that. And he, two, a couple of all-star appearances, then also, you know, the fact that he, um, you know, there was so much pressure on him and everything. I really liked what he had to say and how he was going to use that. What were your impressions of uh, of what what uh, what he said? Very impressed and very much concur, Dave, with what you just said. Because the game, we talk a lot about projections, and we have plenty of models that tell us what to expect. But if you put yourself in his shoes for a moment, he was 22 years of age last September, and... In those games, right down the stretch, you're playing the Rangers, you're playing the Astros. The weight of the world feels like it's on you. And you're 22. You're the age of an American college senior. And millions of fans watching all these games, and you're playing really good competition, and you're probably tired. Um, You've just put up a 30-30 season, and you're supposed to come through and get your team to the playoffs. And obviously we know they fell two games short at the end. But to me... He gets it, and and he, what what he was saying says to me that that mentally, he's in exactly the right headspace, and that while they fell a little bit short last year, that the foundation of this team is plenty good enough to make a run. I know there's been a lot of criticism. Should they have spent more? And there are plenty of reasons for that. But you consider where Julio is, and when you've got a superstar of superstars as the hub of your offense, with a strong supporting cast. We talked a lot about Cal last week and JP. They've got a really good team. I, I really think that. It's not, it's not dominant necessarily, but it's a good team. And when you've got a good team, and what I say is a great rotation, with someone that is finished by the time he's 22 years of age, twice a top 10 MVP finisher in his age 21 and age 22 season. Twice. That is remarkable. And so you're always going to have a chance. You, you, based on that alone, and certainly you're in a division with the Rangers, and I get that, and the Astros are always in the ALCS. I understand that too. But with, with the foundation of this ball club, trust me when I tell you, 29 other teams would love to have that guy, number 44, in the middle of their, their ball club, and, and the Mariners are the one team that's lucky to say they've got him. John, one of the uh, the rumors out there, just reading different stories of uh, websites, MLB rumors, things like that, is that the Mariners have had internal discussions about Matt Chapman. Now, I'm sure they talked a lot of, about a lot of different players, but you know, seriously pursuing somebody is a different story. Considering their financial constraints, that feels like a very remote possibility. But what, what how, have you heard anything about that, and how realistic is it, considering, again, that they – by all accounts, have pulled back on what they were intending to spend. Well, possible, yes. And realistic is probably that next 
hill to climb that is, that will be perhaps challenging to get there. But I saw Daniel Kramer had the reporting on um, what Justin Hollander said during Cactus League Media Day. Chapman is clearly someone they like. They were in the same division as him for a long time. His market has not at all been what he and Boris expected. And I think as a result, Ballinger, of course, also represented by Scott and Chapman. So you've got these two position players. I'm of the mind that one of them has a good chance to land with the Cubs, just based on the dynamics of the marketplace. Both of them fit. Will Scott wait until he knows where both are going for one to sign for leverage purposes? Hard to say. But in my estimation with with Chapman, the Giants are still there as a possibility. There's the connection to Bob Melvin going back to Oakland. That would be a good fit for Matt. But if if the price comes down far enough, and that's the big if, and it's impossible to know. I wish I had right now in front of me a stock ticker that told me exactly where the price was. I don't. Um, but that, to me, is is the piece that we're all wondering about is if it gets down to one-year incentive-laden and then maybe the Mariners circle around. Because the situation with media rights, I understand that a lot of it is is complicated and ever-changing, but... Who knows? We're now in February, almost March, and could it be a little different now, the appetite to spend from ownership than it was four or five months ago? Perhaps. That's, in some ways, that's a long time ago. So there's there's a lot, I think, for the Mariners to work through, but they, from what I can tell, they have a chance. How big of a chance? Hard to say, just because we're not really sure how far that, how far that number has come down, but the fit is there. They like them. I think that for, for Matt, who's from California, the West Coast could be a tremendous fit for him in general. So there's some built-in advantages maybe the Mariners have in that respect. Uh, so we'll see. But I, it's it was something that piqued my curiosity and checked around a bit on it. I, I do think that, that the Mariners do like him. Now it's just a question of how far down does that price tag come. JP, we were talking about you know going into this season. What was uh, maybe your your biggest concern? Had the texters get involved? But Bob was talking about third base, and for me, I uh, to Ty France. I just you've always been able to count on him, and ever since he's become a Mariner, except for last year, he struggled a little bit. So I kind of went that way. I mean, it's I guess it's not my I don't. I guess I have the like a ninety percent faith that he's going to come back and be the hitter that he's always been. But uh, what what would be your biggest area of concern going into the season? So do I have to choose between my two friends here, Dave and Bob? I I don't want (laughs) to offend anybody. Only if you choose me. You can go off the board if you want, if you've got something that's a bigger concern, wherever you want. Okay. Well, I I think in general the bullpen, the bullpen is always a safe answer in in spring training, but I, I actually think that Munoz for a full season, let's hope that Santos's health comes through, and as long as that's the case, I think the bullpen is going to be at least solid and potentially good. The rotation, we know, is a strength of this team and, and should yeah. be for a long time. I, I will go with the Ty France answer. And, uh, and the reason I'm doing that is the first base position is one where traditionally for your lineup to really flow, you need some offense there. You need some run production. I look at where he bats probably after Raleigh and potentially ahead of Hanniger and, and Rayleigh. And so that's the spot where those, it just seems like to me the sixth spot in the lineup, you often have a lot of key RBI opportunities and lineups that go from good to great are those that pick up a lot of RBI around there. He's no longer batting necessarily third, 
That's probably going to be Polanco's spot. They are, to, to, we, to our discussion last week, certainly banking in a big way that Polanco and Garver are ready to shoulder a greater load than they often have in their careers. But France, for all the reasons that you mentioned, at first base, you need some run production. You need a big OPS. And this is not just a spot for an on-base guy to hit singles and and even doubles. You need some production. You need some RBI to make this lineup really work. It helps that you've got a shortstop in Crawford who's quite offensive, a center fielder in Julio who's extraordinarily offensive. Polanco's going to play second and should drive in a bunch of runs. So you're getting offense from the more classical defensive-minded up-the-middle positions. But the first baseman's got to hit. And right now the first baseman is Ty France. He's going to have to produce. And I believe that there's a good chance he has a bounce back here. But if, if you tell me Ty France's games played and RBI, I, I will be able to tell you a lot about how good this team's going to be. Yeah, yeah, I still and I get all that, and I think it's all valid. I just the 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 platoon of of Urias and, and Rojas does not, uh, as Dave likes to say, blow my skirt up. Um, I don't I don't have a ton of ton of uh, optimism about what's going to be produced there. Urias is already dealing with a sore shoulder or something along those lines. I haven't seen Rojas play third base, so I don't. Maybe he's going to be phenomenal. I don't I don't know, but it, you know that's a traditional power spot. You you expect production out of that. Right. And that's a spot I don't know how much you, if we're looking for production out of those two guys combined, I don't know if, what a realistic expectation is. Right. No, and, and you're right. There's, there's a reason why in most projections of this lineup right now, you're seeing the third baseman probably bat ninth. And that's likely to be where that, where that player is going to be unless that player's name becomes Matt Chapman at some point. Uh, or, or they make a trade during the course of the year. That's another possibility. Uh, but think about it. The Mariners have had all these opportunities. And you go back and they could have made a move for Jonathan India at any point in time and put him over there. They, it seems like they trade with the Reds every six or seven months, and they clearly <laughs> didn't do that this time around. Uh, maybe keep an eye on that one a little bit, but I, I tend to think if they wanted Jonathan India, they would have had him by now because of how often they talk and how how closely they're linked as, as two trade partners. But I, that is a position that clearly they're not going to be able to get, at least right now, a lot of production out of. That's just the way that they're built right now. And the the caveat that I would mention to everybody is we are talking about spring training in Arizona where the ball tends to fly. And and we've all been been lulled into thinking that a particular longtime minor league player is all of a sudden going to be uh as as the great Jim Leland used to always say the greatest thing since post toasties um, <laughs> is what he would always say uh, if, that based on one big month of March. And that's we have to keep that in mind to where Arizona is a very favorable offensive environment and what Matt Chapman can do. Now, the thing about Chapman is offensively last year, if you look at the Blue Jays, he was not exactly a perfect solution there offensively either. There's a lot of swing and miss there. And, and this is one part of the Mariner project they were trying to get, I think, to be a bit more in the zone and, and a little more contact. And so Chapman would not necessarily address that issue, but he is an elite deluxe third baseman. And, and he is there. The power is real. Um, it's just maybe not quite as contact-oriented as Jerry Depoto was talking about a few months ago. And so uh, we shall see just how far down that, that number drops. I guess the one thing, too, I'd add on Chapman, if you're going to sign a one-year deal, you typically want to go to a place where you're going to put up huge numbers. 
Seattle is more of a fair park now than it was certainly 10, 15 years ago, but it may not necessarily be the best place for you to put up monster numbers than hit the open market again after the season is over. Hey, JP, I know you, you look at every team and, you know, uh, during spring training and, and all that, and, you know, we never talk about the starting rotation. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's and that's a good thing. It's kind of like an offensive line. Uh, you know, it's like you're only talking about them if they're bad or if there's something, you know, going wrong or if they give up a sack or whatever. And, I mean, we've been having discussions leading up to spring training and gone from everything to service to, you know, tie France to third base and all that. How many teams have it that good, do you think? Is that... Is that something that, you know, the fact that we're not talking about it just kind of says how good they are as far as their starting rotation? Yes, uh, they they are that elite one through five. But notice I didn't say necessarily one through nine or ten because yeah. eventually the run of the Mariners' success from a standpoint of health, it won't last forever. And I think that's where the first time your phone buzzes with a notice of somebody having a – having a checkup with their UCL or something like that, then all of a sudden Emerson Hancock, Levi Stout, who of course is now back from Cincinnati, they become two of the most important people in the organization. And so for me, if if I were watching Mariner spring training games on a continual basis this spring, I would really focus a lot on the likes of Stout and Hancock and the way that some of the other invited players are looking uh, on non-roster deals, Corey Abbott comes to mind, Casey Lawrence, someone uh, you know in that category, because they're going to need players like that at some point. And and the better that they perform right now, uh, the more reassured the Mariner ownership and and front office is going to be about what they can offer as the season goes along. Hey JP, what was your reaction to Anthony Rendon and his comments? He seems like a guy that uh, you know, having never spoken with him, he's he does not appear to love baseball, and he seems to make that clear. And I saw a tweet from Jonathan Papelbon, who take it for what it's worth, but you know, people questioning his love of the game, and Papelbon said something along the lines of, "I used to play with the guy; he hates the game." And then he he came out and said, you know, yeah, it's not a priority for me. It's a job. And and fans don't love to hear that. And, and nobody nobody begrudges an athlete putting their family first. Nobody's saying you should put baseball first. But when it seems like you're just sort of dismissive and you don't take the game as seriously as the fans do, they they want to know that if you're being paid $235 million over seven seasons, that there's a little concern on your part about how you play. Right. Uh, it's certainly... It is, in many ways, the third rail of of athlete interviews and athlete speak. It, the acknowledging what Anthony acknowledged is is difficult in terms of how how he relates and connects with the fans, and I think just as importantly, how it plays in the clubhouse, because the Angels are in a moment where they're trying to reestablish their identity a little bit. Trout, as we know, missed a lot of time last year. Otani is gone, and they've spent a ton of money on Rendon. And so now you start to look around and say, well, who who are our leaders? And typically in the ecosystem of a major league clubhouse, the leaders are the guys who make the most money and, and the guys who are who have the big checks, and are they tend to set the standard and the culture. And so you've got Trout on basically the same day saying – I don't want to ask for a trade. I don't want the easy way out. I want to be a professional and set the tone in this room. And Rendon made 
comments that are in some ways quite the opposite. Uh, in, in fairness to Anthony, this has always been, and he basically referenced this, this has sort of always been the way that he views the game. He's just really, really talented. And this was known, uh, this attitude known in the industry. I remember I was talking to one of his teammates in Washington. This probably was around 2015 or 16. And and I, I was asking him about the personality of the room. And, and I said, how about Rendon? And this, this veteran player says to me, Anthony is happy if he's, if he's chilling out on the couch in here watching Rockets games. He's from Houston. <laughs> and so, so that was known to people in the industry. So the Angels knew this when they signed him. And, and so on some level, my, the, the empathy or sympathy, if you want to call it that, for the organization is somewhat diminished by the fact that while I thought the comments were noteworthy, and attention-grabbing in a lot of ways because he sort of said the quiet part out loud. This did not surprise me. I, I did not describe myself as surprised when he said that. And so th- this, to me, when you talk about teams and, and drivers of culture, this is where we have all these debates in sports about when you sign a player and, and who you sign. Do you sign the, the big free agent who you haven't had before, or do you sign your own guy? The Mariners, before they signed Julio, they knew what made him tick. The talent part was a given. We all saw that. But they wanted to talk about what motivates you intrinsically. And and you, we just talked about Julio earlier on in this conversation. He's 23. There are guys that I will talk about on the MLB Pipeline top prospects list who are 25. And Julio's 23 with already two top 10 MVP finishes and described last year as a disappointment, sophomore slump. That's how driven he is. And it's just, it's an insight into what motivates the person on the inside. It's hard to, you can never read someone's thoughts in that respect. And so I, I give Anthony, honestly, some credit for articulating what he was feeling on the inside. But it's, it's hard for me to feel badly for the Angels because we knew this is how he viewed the game. Yeah. Me meeting people in baseball. And, and now the really interesting part, and one that we may or may not ultimately be privy to, is how does the clubhouse respond? And and guys that look around and Dave, you know what this is like. Guys that play hurt, guys that grind through stuff, and guys that don't. And and what effect does that have on the on the culture and chemistry of the team when when one of the highest paid guys views things in this way? It's it's to to put it mildly, not a great way to begin spring training. Yeah, yeah. 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 Especially since he's been a disaster since he's been there, and you got right. Mike, Mike Trout who's spent his whole career there saying, "I want to stick it out with this team." And yeah, it's just I, I I get fans being upset about it. He is John Morosi. He's with us every single week. Always a great conversation, JP. Have a great rest of your week, and we look forward to uh, speaking again next week. Sounds great, guys. I uh, wanted to mention on the way out we had that we had that tie at the end of regulation between Detroit and Seattle. I I was hoping we could petition the commissioner just keep it right there to keep both of our fan bases happy. Detroit and Seattle together, but alas. A uh, tie is no longer allowed in the NHL, and Ben Sherratt, full marks there for the winner. Dang. All right. Well, you did your best. You did your best. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, JP. All the best, guys. Thanks for the conversation. There you go. There's John Morosi with us each and every week. If you missed any part of that conversation, it will be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Coming up, there's one aspect to the Mariners' season that won't play out on the field but will be of critical importance to their success this year. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.
Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks once again to John Morosi, who joined us in the previous segment. In case you guys are just tuning in and missed that conversation, it will be on the podcast page at seattlesports.com after the show. Just click on the podcast tab, click on our brand new handsome picture, and uh, push subscribe. Yeah, there click, you go. Click subscribe, whatever you want to do. Click, push, whatever gets it done. Whatever turns you on there. Hey, uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was a particularly good um Way to look at Rendon, Anthony Rendon, what JP was saying. Like, he's always... He's been that guy. That kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you don't feel sorry for the Angels. They knew. Yeah, well, I don't feel bad for the Angels. Yeah. I, I, I feel bad for their fans. Well, yeah, there's that. And I, I think also, you know, for... It's not like they got screwed or anything. I mean, they knew that that's the kind of guy that he is. So, anyway, it's uh, some... He seemed a little irritated during that interview, so... But yeah, that was just that was just weird. We hadn't heard anything like that in a long time from an athlete. Yeah, it, and he's right about the rest of that clubhouse. Like this guy's out there complaining about how long the season is. Should be fewer games. I should have to work less for my two hundred plus million. <laughs> just if I'm uh, an Angels fan, I'm going. This guy, what a turd. I I don't I don't love his presence here. Yeah. He's he's been a disaster. I mean, it's just has not worked out. He's he's been hurt every single year that they've had him there. Uh, I think except for maybe the the pandemic year, which was a sixty game season. But yeah, it's just he comes off this huge year. Looks like he's going to be a superstar. We talked about it yesterday. A guy I was daydreaming about the Mariners signing. Like, oh, I'd love to see Rendon in Seattle. Now I'm like, thank goodness that never, not that it was ever going to happen, but yeah, happy he landed with the Angels instead of the Mariners. Yeah, no question. Meanwhile, speaking of the Mariners, they they moved on from some uh, some key voices, key veterans in that in that clubhouse, both of which were pitchers in in the form of Marco Gonzalez, who's just been an absolute uh, pillar of that clubhouse, just a leader, and uh, you know, not not to throw out the cliche, but he's a bulldog. Literally uh, and figuratively, but he just is that guy who kind of set the tone. Robbie Ray was a guy like that for the short amount of time he was here. He was a veteran voice in there that that had some some cachet, if you will, with the young guys. Both those guys are gone. Scott Service talking about who he expects to step up after trading away those voices. When those guys leave via trade, it, it creates an opportunity for other guys to step up, whether that is Luis Castillo. Uh, I do believe Logan has that in him, and I know everybody says, oh, Logan's so quiet. Logan's starting to come out of his shell a little bit, and I think our, our clubhouse is going to see that. Same thing with George, you know, but I want guys to just be authentic, be who they are. You hear me talk about that all the time. Don't try to pretend and, and things like that. It's more of the, the leadership side and the pitching staff is more of the, the one-off conversations with Brian Wu or Bryce Miller or a young reliever uh, that we have. And, and you share ideas, on pitching on your routines between starts, things like that. And the guys we have are certainly capable of doing that. It's funny. I got asked by a coach one time to be um, more of a leader in a certain category. And it just wasn't me. In a certain category. Yeah, like whether it was, I need you to be a leader as far as enthusiasm goes oh, oh, or, oh. you know, studying or, you know, taking guys. And I, I kind of would always plan like linebacker parties and stuff to get the common karate going. Also known as camaraderie. <laughs> common karate. <laughs> Used to call it common karate night. You go out and eat carcucci plates and stuff like that. <laughs> carcucci boards or whatever you called it. I don't even know what that is now. Now. Carcucci. He said Carcucci. He was trying to say charcuterie. Charcuterie. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but but no, I remember it being like um, a category that I just wasn't. It wasn't me. 
And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay, right. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be the yell leader or I'm not going to be this or that. I mean, you just, and that's exactly what Scott's saying there. Just be, you got to be yourself. No, people are going to see through that. And I don't, I'm not trying to make it, I don't know, I guess just because it's sports and there's a lot of emotion involved and things like that. But it's just one of the the places where you will sniff out a phony mm-hmm. right away. You know, and I don't know what it has to do with or how much it, you know, as far as sports goes, that it's just it's just easier that way to, and rather than like if you're in a business or a family or whatever. I mean, it, to me, it's it's always about being yourself. And I feel like that's something that uh, is just a good lesson from from Scott, because that's like every NFL coach. We talk about Dan Campbell all the time. Yeah, that way. Yeah, Gotta be authentic. Yeah, and it's you know just back to briefly what we were talking about with Rendon and 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 uh, you know with with John in the last segment that you know that that's not leadership stuff. That's not a guy you look to 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 lead anybody. In fact, I'd want him to keep his mouth shut. Yeah, just be quiet. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't want you passing your message along to the young guys in this right. clubhouse. You want. You want somebody who's driven to be better, to be the best they can be. That that's you know that's invested. That you know the second that guy doesn't do well, you're you're immediately going to question his want to, mm-hmm. aren't you? Aren't you going to immediately go? Well, he doesn't really care. He's not he's not putting in the effort. These other guys, whether it's true or not, that's sort of the implication. That's when he talks that way. That I think people will sort of place that on him, fair or unfair. Uh, but you brought up Logan Gilbert. Um, or he did, and, and talking about Logan. And apparently, Scott flew out to Florida to see him this off season, and Logan talked about that. Oh yeah, that was pretty cool. I I didn't know you knew that actually. Word got around, I guess. Yeah. No, it means a lot seeing him. Yeah, um, I think you see that investment, especially during the off season. Everybody's got their own time. It's basically the farthest flight you can get from Seattle. So it says a lot that I'm all the way out there and. Um, I do all kinds of weird stuff, as most people know in my training with the water balls and stuff like that. But he was there, like, talking to the the guy that runs it and trying to understand all this stuff. And I think just also, you know, going out to get lunch, just trying to understand and um, be invested in his players. That means a lot to me. I'm sure the other guys as well. I remember when Chuck Knox used to fly to Reno to see me in the off season, just kind of see what I was up to. Yeah, that happened a lot. Never. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I didn't I know. That, it, I didn't man. know that he flew out there. That's pretty. I like Logan. Everybody knows I do weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you now. That's a guy who. I was inspired by him last offseason, just watching him. I'm just like, nobody is working harder than this guy. Oh, when we went down for spring training. I, I have I already liked him. We had him on the show a number of times before yeah. that. You already liked him. He's a great pitcher. He's got a ton of talent. But his work ethic is is unmatched by everybody except for Ichiro, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oddly true. enough. I mean, he just he was out there before everybody. He was literally the last guy off the field. Everybody's in, changed, showered, gone for the day, and he's out there going through whatever he's going through, his different contraptions he's got. He's just somebody who's putting that much effort into getting better and being better at what they do. I got nothing but respect for Logan Gilbert, man. That guy is not being outworked by anybody. Well, and this is such a, a game of, you know, 162 games and the season's so long. Just the, the downtime of just, like, I could see a lot of times just trying to get through, like it's a grind getting through the season, and he doesn't seem to, like, he loves it and takes advantage. And, you know, it's funny. Like, if you took that stuff away from him, you know, the the toys and the extra work and everything, said we can't have you doing that, he'd probably go crazy. 
Yeah, so. he, he probably would. <laughs> I just love that. Everybody knows I do weird stuff. <laughs> the water balls and all of that. Uh, meanwhile, what can we expect from Ty France after an offseason at Driveline? We're going to hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial. Every afternoon at 4.45 with Wyman and Bob. Ty France had his uh, session with the media down there in Peoria this morning. And a lot of the questions, of course, centered on his offseason. His offseason at Driveline, what he learned, what he fixed. And uh, here's Ty France kind of breaking down what they did there with his offensive game. The swing aspect, um, just cleaning a lot of things up. Spent, spent a good bit of time over at Driveline. And, you know, they've, they've got a lot of technology, a lot of smart guys over there to, to help and um, you know, very excited to kind of put that into into the game. You know, there's it's crazy to see how how bad my swing was, like on like a mechanical aspect um, to get all that, that that stuff cleaned up. And you know, it's still not not perfect. There's still you know, I created a lot of a lot of years of bad habits. So just trying to get get as clean as possible and you know, tighten all that up throughout the the full the full off season. I think we made a lot of adjustments and a lot of improvements. It's going to be interesting to see. He talks about a lot of years of bad habits. Yeah, which is weird. Those bad habits were not impacting his performance in a negative way before. I mean, the guy was hitting everything into all fields. You had to play him straight up. I mean, he's not a a power, power guy. Hit 20 bombs before, but I don't know. I'm I'm very curious to see what he looks like. And, And him talking about how bad his swing looked, these guys are going to notice those little mechanical things. To me, what what changed was his approach his zone was huge he was chasing you never saw him really chase that just wasn't his game he just had was very adept at making contact putting the ball in play and hitting the ball where it was pitched and last year that's it was all it felt like the approach is what really got screwed up certainly i'm not discounting mechanics but his approach was just so different and it seemed like he got in his head yeah, um, his hit-by-pitch numbers were down a little bit. <laughs> that really threw him off. Eight. Um, yeah, I wonder if he's saying basically that, you know, that swing, that little, you know, habits were, like, is exacerbated over last mm-hmm. year, that, like, all the, something that was just he could get away with all of a sudden became a little bit more extreme. But I'm sure by the time we get there, he'll be tired of ask uh, us asking about his uh, – his trip to, to driveline, but hey, it, it helped JP, that's for sure. And then you mentioned, yeah, he's he's hit, uh, what, 27 home runs, I think, is that his? Or I'm looking at the wrong uh, let me uh, I can, Let me add something on here. He added yeah. on here, if you want to hear. He said sure. he was, I'll play a little bit of it. He said it was getting a little uh, too handsy. Uh, I was just very handsy. Um, I, was, I was hitting primarily with just my hands. I wasn't using the rest of my body properly. Um, so just trying to get all the sequencing together and um, you know, trying to get get my body to you know, fire in the right order, um, so I can create as much much power and strength, and um, keep my bat in the zone as long as possible. My wife accuses me of that every once in a while, but um, <laughs> being a little too handsy, too handsy. <laughs> yeah, uh, his career high is twenty home runs. That yeah, was in twenty twenty two. I was looking at the wrong one. Yeah. So I mean, and I don't necessarily expect that, but like you were saying, um, you know. The year before that, and his all-star year and everything, it, like you said, everybody had to play him straight up. He was going to hit the ball, and that was the thing that every broadcast, it seemed like every time he got a hit, we would see his spray chart and how yeah. evenly distributed it was to both sides. 
sweeping the dial. I just wanted to play that because I knew you'd have a good reaction. So thank you. He was teeing you up. That did not disappoint. So that was good. Uh, Well, we have to talk about this in the year 2024. And it's happened the past few seasons of players unfollowing their teams on social media. And Justin Fields has done this with the Bears. So Adam Schefter had to explain what happened this morning on a Milwaukee radio station. He believes, as he will explain in his words on this particular podcast with the Sam Brown brothers, he believes in his words that that there's too much noise out there. And he's trying to just block it all out. So he unfollowed the Bears. He unfollowed the NFL. He unfollowed all the noise that's surrounding his name. Now, uh, that's the explanation he offers. You could buy it, not buy it, believe it, not believe it. That's up to you. Seems like that's uh, typically the step that people take, though. When it's amazing who, how many people really pay attention to who these guys are following, and then when they unfollow, like yeah, it's become I, something to look for. That's too much work. Yeah, I'll follow somebody, and I, I, I pay no attention to who they follow. I don't know that I've ever looked at anybody's list, especially athletes. Like, oh, who, who do they follow? I, it's never even really occurred to me. So the fact that somebody's just on it, like, oh, he unfollowed the team or he unfollowed his teammates or the the, the league, whatever. Like, I don't know. I do that when Mike Salk uh, unfollows and follows people. Credit to Matt for that one. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> well, well we, you know, we were looking at who Mike Salk was following. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. <laughs> I got didn't, you. Didn't Kyler Murray unfollow the Arizona Cardinals like last year or two years ago? He, so. he might have. And I, I think Kelnick at one point supposedly it, unfollowed yeah. Yeah. the Mar- Kyler Murray is the big one. Like that's the big signal that they're unhappy with the team. Right. I, I don't know, man. It's just, yeah. And he, and he explained it. We read it earlier or I read it in one of the uh, snapshots that he's like, man, I'm just, I'm off. I'm on vacation. I just don't want any of that in my timeline. Justin NFL, Fields. the Bears, any of that. He knows the conjecture that's going on. He, he gets it. Sweeping the dial. Well, now we know there are uh, a number of podcasts. We talked about Eric Hosmer retiring and starting his own. So Kevin Durant was on one called The Boardroom last night, and he was asked about the Sonics and asked if he wants to be a, a part of a franchise if it, if and when it ever comes back. Without a doubt. That franchise, for one, is an iconic brand within the NBA. I feel like that market is a basketball market that needs the influence of the NBA team that so to continue to inspire that city and, bring, and, and produce more and more basketball players. Because I believe that. I believe if the city has the NBA team, you will get more and more kids inspired to win. Yeah, that, there's a lot of really, really good players that have come out of Seattle. Yeah. Right? Uh, the, the basketball teams here have been fantastic, but... Just remember, was it his was his rookie year the last year here? Was that? Yeah, yeah. Just remember seeing him down on the field, Kevin Durant, and just remember how skinny he was. But still is. Yeah, still is. Like I don't know that he's gained a pound since that the day he stepped onto the Sonics home court. But fantastic player. Well, and uh, he's sorry. Do you want to hear the rest of that? My phone fell and stopped it. Is that like, what happened? Yeah, I thought what, that was a weird edit. Screwing around with your phone. Yeah, he's always screwing around <laughs> with his a, phone. Yeah, here's the rest of that answer. Want to become NBA players as opposed to not having a team. And it's a franchise I play for, so I have some pride for. It, so, and I believe it will be back. I believe it will be a part of expansion in the league to help run the team and help guide the team as they come back into the league. I would absolutely love that. And you know, when I retire, obviously, I would. That's a dream come true. He'd be welcome back with open arms because Kevin Durant has championed Seattle since the day he left. 
He's he's worn their gear. You've seen a million different pictures of him wearing Sonics gear when when they had the final event in the the uh, Seattle Center Arena before it got torn down to become Climate Pledge. It was a preseason game it, that he was playing in, and he walked out on the. I was actually at the game with our guy Adam Ray. Mm-hmm. Went to that game, and he comes walking out in a. I think it was a Sean Kemp jersey. And the crowd just went nuts, and he made a speech to the crowd. And he's he has always championed Seattle and the NBA and the travesty that it is that there's no franchise here. So I would think if he retired and came back and was part of the organization when it does come back, that would be that would be huge. It's pretty awesome that uh, that he had that. It left that kind of impression on him. Yeah. As far as uh, you know, playing here for what one year. So um, yeah, that that's cool to have and. and Everybody seems to to talk up. Oh yeah, there's acts absolutely going to be a franchise back in Seattle, but I feel like it's been going on for like two or three years, and I'm like, well, let's let's go now. Well, I think it's at the end of this TV contract is what most people think mm-hmm. that they're going to expand probably by Seattle and Vegas. Is, seems to be the word once the t they get into the new TV deal or negotiate the new TV deal that that's that's when it'll happen that he'll he'll be uh, or they'll. Have the Sonics come back to town as they should. It's it is a travesty. Where are they keeping all the stuff like the banners and the jerseys that are put up I in think, there? I think it's in like a store. I don't know unit if OKC somewhere? took it or <laughs> seriously. I think yeah. they, I don't know if they got. I think they took some of the stuff with them. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't really know physically where everything's at. But I mean, it just I'm kind of just posing a question. That like it's sad that there's yeah. really nothing. You know, left of of all of that memorabilia, the memories, all that stuff. Obviously, you can't take away, but yeah, it'll be nice to for for Sonics, especially if you're an alum. Yeah, or, you know, you you played for the Sonics, and there's no is there a team party that people are asking you back to? Is there like a golf tournament? I mean, do they do anything for the Sonics? I feel like that's a shame. Yeah, it is because they they used to own this town. There was this, there was Sonics mania the way there was with the Seahawks. Yeah, but it was the mid mid nineties. That was all about the Sonics in this city. You bet. All right, sweeping the dial is powered by Seattle University men's basketball. Coming up, how do the Seahawks go about filling their offseason needs? We're going to get into a couple of conversations about that in our best of the rest. Coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten.